following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Proverbs, chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The women folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Shoal. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, well, uh, good morning once again. Uh, it's good to be with you, Sacred City. It looks like everybody made it out this weekend with all of their appendages, which is great, especially for Jarek. It's great to watch him whack this, not out of that box, I think. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, it's good to be back with you. Last time, well, especially this time, last time I was here, you were in a tent. So I'm glad to see that you've gone back to these like modern amenities and air conditioning. Otherwise, I would have stayed home. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I would have suffered. Um, Coming back to Sacred City Davenport feels a lot like a family reunion for me, like a, an extended family reunion. I spent the first five years of my life in the Quad Cities here in this congregation. And so for many of you are really familiar, uh, probably about a quarter of you, the other three quarters of you, I don't know, you don't know me, but uh, I'm Sam, I'm the, the church planner, the pastor of Sacred City Moline. I've come back to help fill the pulpit uh, for Justin as he's taking a little break. And, uh, and I stole your drummer and he's preaching for me this week in Moline. So be sure to say a pray for, prayer for him. Um, I, I'm excited to be back to see you, to be with you, and especially to open up God's word together this morning. Uh, so I'm going to pray. Would you mind? I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me. And, and we'll wade through this passage uh, together. Father, we, we do thank you for this morning, just the, the opportunities uh, to be reminded of your unfailing steadfast love, your disposition toward us, though we walk away to the left, to the right, you are steadfast in your ways, that you, you seek us out. And God, this morning you've given us our, this word uh, to, to seek us out, to draw us toward you. And so I pray, Father, you would illuminate this text, that, that this would be uh, the, the lamp unto our feet, the light on the path, Father, for us to see, to see you clearly, to see ourselves clearly. Would you grant us this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, 
usually between Sacred City, Davenport, Sacred City, Moline, we, we go in tandem through our sermon series. So we've been going through uh, a series through the Proverbs on wisdom. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking sort of like a, a big aerial perspective of, of what is wisdom, how do you get it, how do you live it, and now we are going to start moving in onto some specific things about wisdom and foolishness and, and start fleshing it out. And so to do this over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a, a few character studies to see what wisdom and what foolishness looks like. And Proverbs uses this characterization technique to show us that there's actually more than one way to be an idiot. We see uh, the sluggard, the fool, the scoffer, the wicked, and, and this week we're looking at the simpleton. Each week we're going to sort of unpack one of these things. Um, now, let me just be clear up front because some of you might be like, what we're not doing here is not, we're not providing these character profiles so you can sit on your chair and assess the people who walk by so you can deem that sort of person an idiot, right? That's not what we're doing here. Uh, that, that's, that's foolishness, that's pharisaical, that's what religious people do out of insecurity in order to self-validate, to lift themselves up so they can put other people down. That's not what we're doing here. Uh, this morning what we're doing is we're holding up the mirror of God's word to ourselves so that we can self-examine. Uh, because if you're unaware of the different faces and forms of folly, you will likely look right past them when they're staring at you in the mirror. So if you're willing to come with me this morning, take an honest look in the mirror of God's word, Proverbs 9 can help bring us from the shallows of folly to the deeps of wisdom. By contrasting these tendencies of the simpleton and leaning in toward the wisdom of the prudent. So that's where we're going. Before we jump uh, into chapter 9, I, ju I just need to fill you in on what's going on in chapters 7 and 8 of Proverbs. We're kind of jumping from place to place. Um, and so let me tell you what's happening. Uh, King Solomon is, is writing. He's informing his young son, who would have been 16, young, young adult, um, if you call it that, uh, a young son about the, the reality that he, as a young man, he has two suitors. There, there are two women who have a specific interest in him. And now for a 16-year-old boy, this would be sweet, right? right? There, there, there's more than one lady that thinks I'm attracted, that's trying to, to beckon me. But, but what Solomon is showing us is one of these ladies is a sweet girl. She, she's beautiful. She loves Jesus. She's smart. She's kind. She's humble. Being with her is invigorating. But on the other side, there's this second woman. She's immature, She's pretentious. She's a little bit crazy. She's impulsive. She's seductive and just downright exhausting to be in her presence. Now, what, what Solomon is doing here is he's giving us the personification of wisdom and of foolishness. And he's telling his son, look, son, both of these women are making advances on you. In fact, when we look at Proverbs 9.13... And actually, at the beginning of Proverbs 9, we see this playing out. In Proverbs 13, we see woman folly making her advances. She's loud. She's seductive. She's shallow in that she knows nothing. She makes herself visible to intentionally distract and actually sabotage any who might pass by. She offers this insincere yet open invitation, kind of like a hunter who would bait a trap. He doesn't really care what animal it is that falls in the trap. He's just looking to get something. 
So she doesn't care who it is that falls in her trap, but she's targeting a specific type of person. She's targeting the simple. You see this in Proverbs 9, 16. Who, she says this. This is her, her loud cry, her seductive cry. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, it goes on to tell us in verse 18 that there's a, a great danger. There's, there's peril for the simple. If, if you're a simple person and you fall into her trap, there is danger ahead. It says, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now, this, this is a poetic way of saying that if you're a simpleton, if, if you think simply your life could take, take a very bad turn really quick. The, the simple are always one decision away from complete catastrophe, of completely blowing up their life. This is just not good. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with being simple? What's wrong with being simple? Simple seems good, right? No, nobody says, you know what, I need to go and make my life a little bit more complex, no, nobody says that. We're, we're always looking for ways to simplify. In fact, we, we prefer simple. We want simple recipes. We want our technology, our apps on our phone to be simple. Uh, we want simple banking, relationships to be not so complex. We, we like things simple. Now, when the Proverbs are talking about simplicity, it's talking about the simple. It's not talking bad about simplicity or, or trying to elevate complexity or confusion. That's not what the Proverbs is after. No, wisdom has the superpower of making profound and complex things understandable. Right? You, you know that. If you've been with a wise person, they have the ability to step into a situation that's very nuanced, very complex, and, and sort of make sense of things in an understandable way. That's how you know if, if you're, you're wise. And actually, that's the, the beauty of the Proverbs, that they have the ability to help us declutter and untangle our lives and make sense of things. Now, what's being addressed here is the problem of simple-mindedness. There's a difference between simplicity and simple-mindedness. Now, I've got to make a confession here. Uh, outside of the Bible, the office might be the, the source of media that resonates with me the most. I don't know if you know The Office, right, TV show. Um, it's on Netflix if you want to check it out. If you don't like The Office, you're dead to me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it's really going to take the gospel uh, in order to, for us to be friends. Um, and honestly, when I, when I think about passage, and really when I examine my life, I kind of tend to make sense out of things by just like clips of the office in my mind. And, and every time uh, I write a sermon, I have at least 10 different illustrations that I could use from the office, but I always practice self-restraint. I don't go there. But if there's ever a time that calls for an office reference, it's this, this passage right here. And, and rather than trying to explain it, I actually want to give you the pleasure of watching uh, this short clip. So, Phil recruited me to sell these cars, and now I am recruiting Don't worry about Phil. He drives a Corvette. He just fine. Okay. Calling cards are the wave of the future. These things sell themselves. You know what? That's a nice attitude, Ryan. I'm just helping you invest in your future. 
something to get rich quick. Yes, thank you. You will get rich quick. We all will. You lose a lot of money on other investments than what's in the email. You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. His father ran the freaking country, okay? All right, so raise your hand if you want to get rich. All right. No, um, how is this not a pyramid scheme? It's not a pyramid scheme. It is a, it's not even a scheme per se. It's. <laughs> oh, we, we can laugh at Michael Scott, uh, but the reality is Michael Scott could very well be a case study for the simpleton. In fact, if you look at, at Scripture, Proverbs 14, 15 says that the simple believes everything, that there's a sense of, of gullibility. Proverbs 7 says that the, the, the simpleton is easily misled. If you look at chapter 1, verse 11, says that, that the simple, the fool, is susceptible to this mob mentality. They can be sheep, right, following everybody else, going the way that everybody else is going. They give very little thought to things. They, they jump on their instinct. And when we look at this, this phrase, they, they go without sense, it, it's, it's a logical thing, right? There, there's a sense where cognitively they're, they're weak, but it also means that they're lacking heart. That not only can they think things through, but they're very rarely thinking about other people and how their actions or decisions might affect them. Proverbs 14.8 tells us that the simpleton is easily deceived. Proverbs 7.7 suggests that the reason for this, the cause of the simpleton is, the cause of their, their naivete could be because of their youth. They're just young, they don't understand, they, they can't see things the way that maybe older, wiser people can say. It's like my five-year-old son who um, always insists, ask me a question, and I give him an answer, you know, I'm trying to frame it up for a five-year-old, and he goes, oh yeah, I knew that already. It's like, why'd you ask? Like, you really know how the combustion engine works, little Mr. Otto? Right? He doesn't. It's, there's, so there's a sense with the simpleton where they just feel like they already got figured out, yet there's the, these limiters on what they really know. Derek Kidner, who's a commentator on this passage, he says, the simpleton is, is easily led, he's gullible, he's silly, mentally he's naive, morally he is willful and persistent in his ways, and downright irresponsible. See, the simple person, the simpleton lacks relational and cognitive, emotional, and even spiritual depth perception. It's as if the, the, the simple person stumbles around in three dimensions while they think their world is just two-dimensional. But eventually, the hilarity, right? Eventually, the Michael Scott factor wears off. And we might look the simple person in the eye and ask them with an honest question, why are you the way that you are? And it's surprising. Their lack of wisdom is not out of rebellion. It's, it's, not, it's not even necessarily out of arrogance, like the scoffer who gets framed up in uh, chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, who we'll look at later on. No, the, the reason why the simple person 
lacks awareness is because they just lack self-awareness an awareness of others, the, the nuance, the complexities of life. And so for them, it's easier to just sort of be in the dark. It's easier to be oblivious than to do the hard mental work, to do the hard relational work of, of seeing things from a different perspective. And in chapter one, there's a question is asked by, by wisdom, how long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? See, there, there, there's this factor of being simple that's just kind of nice, it's easy to be in the dark. You, you know the saying, ignorance is bliss, right? It's just easier to not have to, to weigh out the option to do that hard work. Now, it might be easier for a moment, but eventually, things get really challenging. Remember in, in verse 18, we're told, if I can get to the right spot, it says, it, it tells us that Lady Folly has a heap of bones in her closet. She, she coaxes the simple, come on in, come, come here, act now, don't think, follow your heart, you're not going to regret this. Jump on the opportunity, and the simple person can't see past the surface. They're not aware of the nuance, they're, they're not aware of the fact that she's trying to take advantage of them. And so with their untethered optimism, with the inability to, to refuse, to, to push back, to ask good questions or to work out the implications, a simple jump in with two feet. They lack foresight. And they're typically only thinking right in the immediate context. They have the inability to see down the road, to think of the long game. Now, being simple isn't inherently sinful. It, it, it's not. It's, it's not a sim, sinful thing to be simple-minded. But here's the, here's the issue with this. It does make you more susceptible to sin. If you're simple-minded, you are going to be more prone to temptation. Being simple-minded means that, that you are going to be really confused when it comes to what's right and what's wrong. Your, your moral compass is going to be spinning as if it's sitting on top of a magnet. Temptation's gonna feel, feel especially strong. And in chapter 22, three, we're told that, that the simple will walk right into danger and suffer for it. In fact, that's what we saw in verse 18. Proverbs 132 says it even more severe. The simple are killed by their turning away. Now, when we lay out the tendencies of a simpleton, we can all admit, right, this is sort of a reckless way to live, right? right? No, nobody's like, sign me up for that. Nobody wants to be the Michael Scott. Nobody wants to be the characterization of the simpleton that we find in the Proverbs. And, and, and as we sit and, and play with this idea, we, we might even be able to pinpoint other people in our lives who are like, that, that kind of lines up with more with, with that person less than, than me. But here's the key to wisdom. The key to wisdom is being able to pull up the mirror of God's word and take a look in it for yourself and give yourself an honest evaluation. Are you willing to see the foolishness in yourself? Do, do you see the allure of bad girl folly disguised in the way that you use your finances? Right? I, I mean, we just did a, a money series a while back talking about investing eternally and being generous towards others, toward God, right? Yet, yet Lady Folly is like, well, 
Just spend it on the here and now. Do you see how she's disguised in that too-good-to-be-true career move that's going to advance your career way faster than you could on normal means? But the problem is that it takes you away from community, takes you away from mission. Do you see it in the way that your kids' little league schedule, your kids' dance and music, whatever the thing is, how those things hijack your calendar? Do you see Lady Folly suggesting this slightly promiscuous show or movie? This content that's a little bit suggestive and how little by little lays breadcrumbs to the trail of pornography. Do you see how she works, disguises herself in how we tend to act and speak without thinking? Or, or the way that we can't control our anger, we just lash out? She's at work. And you know what? When we look at the Proverbs, it's really easy to see the way that she works. But, but as, as much as she says that she knows nothing, she's really good at what she does. She's really good at disguising herself and getting us to bite on the bait. Now, if you look at this and you say, you know what? I, I'm not like that. I'm going to be honest with you. It just shows a lack of self-awareness. If that's your knee-jerk response, that, oh, that's, that's not me. No, no, no. You answering that way proves that that is you. See, this is the, the paradox of wisdom. It's that the, the wise people, those who are actually wise, can admit to and claim their folly. Yet it's the fool who insists that they're wise and continue to go in their ways. Because the reality is no one has arrived at total wisdom. Not a single person. In fact, if you, if you look through the Proverbs, it tells us that there's a beginning to wisdom, but there, it says nothing about a finish line. It, it's, a, it's an adventure. It's, it's a journey we all take, and it's a lifelong thing, which means that there's always traces of the fooliness. That means that there's always a little bit of the simpleton rearing its head in your life. It means that there's always room for us to grow. Now, take a look at... at Proverbs 9, verse 10 here. This is like, this is often quoted here. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, now what is this? You know what? That, that's self-realization. The fear of the Lord, you know what that means? It means I realize that I'm not God, that God is God. I'm not God. I'm not all-knowing. God is. In fact, if I really look at myself, I'm a little bit of a dummy. And, and if it's hard to admit, like, ugh. I, like, we can really take an honest evaluation of our life and say, you know what, I, I don't know the intricacies of life. That there are gaping holes in my awareness and my understanding of reality, of, of others and of myself. And because of this, we can be easily enticed, easily duped into foolishness, and some of us will actually go willingly. Now, Ray Ortland, pastor uh, down in Nashville, partner, part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, one of my spiritual heroes, he has this gospel mantra that just perfectly sits here with us in Proverbs 9. It says this, it's a three parts. It says, one, I'm a complete idiot. Two, my future is incredibly bright. 
three, anyone can get in on this. See, with any self-realization, we know the truth of number one already, right? And maybe you're ashamed of it. And if you're ashamed of it, you're going to find ways to compensate or filter out the imperfection just like you would with an Instagram filter. But when you know the gospel, it frees us to admit our folly. It frees us to admit our our failures. And it allows us to stop posturing and really come to grips with the fact that, man, I am a bit of an idiot. And it's only when we understand the truth of point number one we're shocked by number two and three of the mantra. And in fact, you look at verses one through six of Proverbs nine and it lays it out very clearly. Now, if you look in verse three, we see that Lady Wisdom says she's built her house. Now she says, verse three, she sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. She's, she's, she's sending her own out to go and, and echo the call that she has made back in Proverbs one. She's crying aloud at the streets. Those who are foolish, come to me. Now, she might not be as obnoxious as the woman Folly, but she is inviting. She's making an honest invitation. We see this in verse 4. Whoever is simple, let let him come and turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. And she's spared no expense in her preparations. Verse 1 tells us she's built a nice house. It's not this little shack that woman Folly has. She's she's got the seven pillars. She's slaughtered her beast. She's mixed her wine. She's sat her table. She's given us a noble place to sit down, a hearty meal to eat, mixed with this fine wine. It's mixed with spices to taste even better. She's laid out a nice setting for us to sit down. She's the hostess with the mostest. And if you look at at woman folly and woman wisdom and you compare them side by side, you can see woman wisdom has a superior superior quality to her environment, to what she offers at the meal than the stolen bread or the stale bread and the stolen water. And what's noticeable are are the difference of intentions between lady wisdom and lady folly. Now, they're, they're both calling the simple. Right? Both, both Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom, they're calling the simple to come near, but, but Lady Wisdom calls the simple in order to give, not to take. She, she calls to uphold and elevate them, not to take and abuse from them. And so we can see that this is, when you put them side by side, the contrast is bleak. If you remain simple, it's not going to end well for you. In fact, it's going to be like a, a living nightmare over an over, Groundhog's Day on a, a living nightmare. But if you leave your simple ways, if you step into the house of Lady Wisdom, you pursue wisdom, you'll find life. You'll find that your, your future is incredibly bright. In fact, look at verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Now, the good news is that this invitation that Lady Wisdom makes, it's not, there's no prerequisite for wisdom to take her up on the offer. It's not. She's calling. It's almost an exclusive invite for the simple-minded, for the fool. 
No matter how foolish, no matter how simple-minded you once were, or even this morning you were, she's calling you to get in off the street, to come put your feet up, to come eat and drink. And this invitation isn't, isn't based on what you have done in the past. It's based solely on her kindness and goodness and mercy. See, this is the reality, that anyone can get in. Any fool is welcome to cross the threshold of her home. Now, something happens. When you make that decision, it's like, ah, you know, woman folly looks like she's up to no good. I think I'm going to come into Lady Wisdom's home. When you sit down, you feast at Lady Wisdom's table, little by little something happens. You start becoming wise. Your simple ways are weeded out and you begin to grow in wisdom and prudence. Proverbs 8.12 says that wisdom dwells with prudence. That where she is, prudence will be found. Chapter 14.8 says now this is what wisdom is. It's to be discerning. It's to have the mind to think through things. 14.15 Prudence gives us the ability to think out the steps, to cut through the smoke of confusion. 22.3 says that prudence allows us to now see danger. Instead of walking into it like the foolish person, we get to turn the other way. See, these are the characteristics that that we start to take on when, when we start to give ourselves to the feast of Lady Wisdom, spend time with her. She becomes your reliable teacher. She takes your simple-minded ways and transforms them into being prudent and shrewd. She gives you insight to see past the surface, to see the nuance of things, to weigh your options. She gives you the option of, of seeing past the immediate and thinking of the long game. She fixes your moral, moral compass that was once spinning and you couldn't tell what's right or wrong. She starts telling you, here's the path. Here's the way to go. Here's what's good. Here's what's right. She gives us the ability to fight temptation. To see that temptation is just out to destroy us. Like we, think, we think of the enemy who's out to steal, kill, rob, destroy, all that business. Right? That's what foolishness is doing trying to deplete us, but, but here we see how wisdom is offering us something better, and she's giving us the opportunity, the options of warring off the schemes of evil. Or in other words, Lady Wisdom, as we sit at her table, she gives us moral, emotional, relational, and spiritual depth perception to see that things aren't always the way that they appear. That there, there's always another dimension to things. There's another, always another angle. And if we're able to see as she sees, we're, we're now able to navigate life and its complexities. And the reason that we're able to go with the hard way, which, which you know, that's the thing. Lady wisdom or lady foolishness, she, she makes it easy. And the woman of wisdom, it's a hard way, but it's the right way. It's the good way. And when we've encountered her, we understand her goodness, her her good intentions for us, not to harm us, but to elevate us. And when you do so, when you see her goodness, you start to live. Verse 11 tells us that your days are multiplied, that years are added to your life. That's a pretty cool thing. Everybody, time is a domain that sits on everybody. 
one of the distinctions between a wise person and a foolish person is the ability to navigate time. It's not that you get, you might live longer, right? If you stick a paperclip in an outlet socket you're, or a socket, you're going to probably not live very long. You know, so wisdom will get you a little bit there. But, but wisdom is also this, to take the time that we have and make the most of it. Right? To use it for good. So days are multiplied. Years are added to your life. Now, do, do you see how this all points forward to Jesus? Do, do you realize that? that the, the parallels of Lady Wisdom and Jesus are uncanny. Just like Lady Wisdom invites the fools in off the street, God's love is designated for spiritually foolish people. God's love is made for sinners. Those are the people that his love is intended for. It's not based on merit. It's not based on our ability to make wise decisions or to do the right thing or know what's sin and what's not sin. His love for us is based solely on his goodness and mercy. And like Lady Wisdom, who extends a sincere invitation to come on in, so is God's invitation. He says, come on, come, come be part of the family. Like, I, I want to adopt you. I want to give you a new support system. This is one of the reasons why community is so important for us. It's like to have people to walk towards wisdom with, to have people say, you know what, th- this seems like a foolish thing to do. We want to help you. We want to be part of your family. We want to grow toward the right thing. So there's this invitation. Pull up a chair. Come feast. Come eat. Taste how good this is. Taste how sweet this wine is. All at no cost to us. Yet this cost for such a a delicious meal cost the host everything. That God, he didn't just send like, uh, Lady Wisdom sends out her young women. God doesn't, he did for a while. He sent out out prophets to say, come back to God. You know, it didn't work out so well. What God had to do, God had to himself stepped into the reality. God, the son of God, Jesus Christ, came down from the epicenter of wisdom in heaven where God is and steps into the foolishness and the brokenness of this world. And it cost him everything. That Jesus actually takes on the consequences of our cosmic foolishness, right? To, To be in Sheol, to see the brokenness, to know the pain, the agony of the foolish decisions that we've ever made. And Jesus tastes that so we don't have to. And instead of Jesus getting the reward for his, his ability to live wisely, because there's one person who's only ever lived wisely. That was Jesus. Even King Solomon, who was the second wisest man on earth, you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, he's telling you his foolishness. But instead of getting the reward of his prudence, of his shrewdness, of his wisdom, Jesus gives that to us. There's this exchange. Jesus gets our our consequences. We get his reward. And with that, we now have the freedom to honestly admit our failure. I see the, the, the chorus of the saints, the chorus of the church is, man, I, I am messed up. I am a fool. But look at how steadfast God's love is. Look at how much he loves. Not because I've done anything great, 
If anything, I've done anything to, to take away, to detract from God's love, but yet he loves, he pours his love out on me. And, and with that, we have this ability to admit our failure, yet be incredibly solidified and validated in love with Jesus Christ. And just like Lady Wisdom is a teacher, now Jesus is, is our teacher. He, he's teaching us how to live wisely, how to navigate the brokenness of this world. Ephesians 2 tells us that you were once dead in your sins, following the course of this world and the prince of power of the air. See, we were, in sin, we were sheep headed to slaughter. But because of God's love for us, Jesus was a lamb who was slain for us, so we wouldn't have to be. And now, we have the ability to step out of the pattern of the world and follow a better teacher. That God has made us alive in Christ. It's given us immeasurable riches, right? That our future is now incredibly bright. And here's the good news. Anybody can get on it. The invitation stands for anyone. Now, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't, want that? Who wouldn't want to step into this beautiful mansion that God's prepared for us? See, as we behold Jesus, as we see what he's given us, we become prudent. We become shrewd. We become wise. We have the ability to navigate the confusing world and do it for the glory and fame of Jesus. Not to say, not like, like we professed this morning, not for our own boast, but that our boast would be in the Lord and what he's done. To the ability to sidestep sin, to fight temptation, to walk in God's ways and find not just a few years, not just a couple days, but find eternal life. Now, if, if you really believe that, if, if you believe that God has done that, he's gone out, he's sought us out, brought us in, given us a family, given us a meal, a feast, then God is going to do what Lady Wisdom does and send like she sends out her young women, he's sending us back out into our city. He's sending us out, because there are a lot of people out in our city who are just getting punished by their foolish decisions. And it's the grace of God that compels us to go and proclaim, listen, there is, there is a God in heaven who has left heaven, come down, and wants to bring you into the family. See, this is what we celebrate when we come to the Lord's table. We, we think of, we remember that it was Jesus' body that was broken. It was blood that was shed. So ours wouldn't have to be. And it's a family meal. We come together. That I can look across the aisle and say, man, I know I'm a fool. And, and the person across the aisle, I'm a fool too. But listen, this is what God does for fools. He gives himself up so that we can become wise. That we could know the wisdom of God in Christ. So let us come to the table this morning. Confessing our foolishness and clinging to the hope of Christ that in him we are made wise. Father, we thank you for your gospel this morning, that it finds and seeks out undeserving sinners. God, we ask that this meal would strengthen us, that it would give us the fortitude to, to pursue lady wisdom and say no to the, the woman of folly. God, that we would delight ourselves in your ways, that we would walk in the, the footsteps of Christ. And God, in doing so, we would know just how kind and sincere your love is for us. Win us over, God. Align our hearts with yours. Make us wise and help us to number our days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.